Father, we praise your name this morning. We thank you that you are our strength and our reward, just as we were sung about. And I thank you for every person that's here, every person that's in this building, every person that's watching online, every person in our home fellowship groups at every campus. And we pray today, be their strength today. Let them know, God, let all of us know that we are not alone. That God, we don't do this life without on our own, but we have your help. We have your Holy Spirit. And God, I thank you for every person that's here. Nobody is here by accident. Nobody is listening by accident. God, you do nothing by accident. And so God, today, by your Holy Spirit, would you do something, fathers, in, in the sense of freedom in this place. Set people free here today, Lord God. Set people free here today. We didn't come to a church service. We didn't come to hear music. We have come to have an encounter with the living Jesus today, the resurrected Jesus. And so God, I'm believing that if you, if you're able to conquer death, hell, and the grave, you can conquer anything that's happening. You can conquer Lord God in a marriage that just seems to be going south where divorce right now is even in the working. And God, you can resurrect a marriage today. You can resurrect, Lord God, couples today. You can do a mighty work. So God, when we leave this place, let nobody say what great music. Let them not say what a great church or what a lovely church or what even great preaching. Let them say what a great God they serve at that place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, could you put your hands together? And let me tell you this. I just want to make sure you're alive today, that you're here today. Before you sit down, look at at least one person and say, are you losing weight? You look really skinny. Just ask him that right now. Just go ahead and ask him. And you may be seated. Now you're happy, aren't you? All right, let's get ready to jump in this. I'm so excited about being here today, and I know God wants to do something really special. I want to talk to you about one-on-one, one-on-one. In, in view and in honor of March Madness, today they're going to find out who's in the final four. We're just finishing up the Elite Eight, but I want to talk to you about one-on-one, which really more is at stake here than wins and losses and whether Auburn is going to beat Kentucky or we know Michigan State will beat Duke, we understand that today, okay? I just called you skinny. Don't, don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. But here's, here's what I want to do. I want to take it from a different standpoint today. What people don't realize is this, that most of what you hear from this pulpit, whether it's Pastor Carter, Pastor David, this afternoon you're going to hear from Pastor Nick and, and, and Pastor Patrick. Do you know that most of the things that we preach here, the red letters that we preach from the New Testament, are not sermons that Jesus preached, but they're one-on-one conversations? Think about that for just a moment. We don't look at the sermons of Jesus and preach them. We're preaching from his conversations. One-on-one conversations. When you take the most amazing verse that has ever been penned in human language, John 3.16, that was a one-on-one conversation. Jesus didn't unpack John 3.16 so we could preach it. And what we're invited into is literally his one-on-one conversations. And this is so important for us to understand this because we're living in a time now 
that we don't really do well with one-on-one -on -one conversations today. And let me give you my opinion. I think technology today is as valuable as it is, has harmed one-on-one -on -one conversations. Let me say it like this. Technology, and listen, I'm all for it, helps with reaching the masses, but hinders us in one-on-one -on -one conversations. I know people, listen to me, I know people who literally, um, that, have, that technology has taken away their ability to talk to people. That they are thumb and keyboard savvy, but conversationally awkward. They could, if they could just look at you and use their thumbs, they're good. They don't even spell out words anymore. It's called emojis. They'll just send you an emoji. They don't even tell you they're happy. They just send you a happy face. Because we don't even know how to communicate very, very much, which was the bulk of Jesus's ministry. I was reading an article um, that was called How Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? And what they said was, is that we have, we have a generation now that, have our, feels, that is the safest generation because they have found their space is cyberspace and not a physical place. They said they are physically safer, but they are dying mentally and conversationally. That when we grow up, you'd go to a beach or you go to play stickball or you go to a park. Today, you just stay on a computer and you look at a screen that you can begin then to interact with thumbs and keyboards, but we don't even know how to, re to interact with one another. And if this is the bulk of Jesus's ministry, I think we need to learn how to talk to one another. In fact, if I could just pause for a second, because I want to help some of you for just a moment before we jump into one of Jesus's one-on-one -on -one conversations. Because I want to help you, but you're going to have to put a little work at this. I, was, I went to the gym the other day just to, just, to, just to kind of get a little bit of a workout. And so while I was working out in a cardio room, the person next to me was reading the newspaper on the machine. And the other person was whistling. And I'm going, if you're reading a newspaper or whistling, I don't think you're working out, in my opinion. Because I just, I'm, so you're going to have to put away the whistle and you're going to have to just work. Can I just give you three quick things just for a moment here? Just pause for a second because I want to help you with your one-on-one -on -one conversations. This is just me trying to help you to be good at one-on-one -on -one conversation. Jot these three things down because I think this can help you. This is, not, this is not a millennial thing. This is all of us. So I want to help you with this. Number one is this. I, just, I, I tell this to our staff. I tell this to our people. Choose to be a person that asks questions and not just one that answers questions. So many people, they just sit there and wait for you to ask something, and it becomes this awkward silence that literally nobody asks questions. You know why? Because we're not interested in people today. When you ask questions, people think you're interested in them. And so what's so important is learn to ask questions, even when they show up at church. Go, I mean, you can, in, instead of just going in and just shaking hands, just ask them, how did you get here today? I mean, how did you get in? Where, what state are you from? Have you been coming long? Any question lets you think or lets them think that, you, that they're more important than you just having a venue for you to talk to them. And so I'm, I try to teach my children. I try to teach our staff. I try to teach our church. Ask people questions because people, I'm just telling you, people today don't even know how to ask questions. But I'm going to tell you the second thing that I have learned that is one of the most important things in having conversations. I'll do this on a plane today. I'll do this at an airport. I'll do this wherever I go, at a coffee shop. And, and that's this. Jot this, because I think this is the most important thing, is listen carefully and ask a follow-up question. 
You know what people usually do? They'll ask one question, they pay the toll, and then they're gonna tell you their life story for 20 minutes. I've had people just go, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Okay, now let me talk to you. Like they just paid the toll. Ask questions and then listen to them and ask a follow-up question. I mean, ask a question. Hey, did, you know, front row, did, did he spit on you as he spit on me? Okay, follow-up question. Do you think that's a physical problem? Do you think there's a saliva issue? Or is he just excited? Follow-up question. You think he'll pay for your dry cleaning? Or do you think he's just going to walk out and leave you in the lurch with a garment that has been stained by spit that has come from a problem that our speaker has today? You understand what I'm saying? Ask a question. How long have you been coming to the church? How did you get to the church? And I'm just telling you, when you do something like this, you are opening up doors. And let me just be spiritual. Then the other thing, as I always do, is this, is listen for what I call prayer, prayer pauses. Because sometimes when people, when people start talking, they're going to share something with you and just, and just ask them, hey, can I pray for you about that right now? Can I just ask God just to touch you right now? It's amazing. In my entire life, from airplanes to coffee shops, I think I've been rejected one time on the streets and in the air. One time that person said, no, you can't pray. People always want prayer. And so I'm just telling you, this just helps us with having one-on-one conversations with people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When you look at the one-on-ones and you start seeing what Jesus did, you can see he deals with tragedy, tragic death when his cousin John the Baptist was beheaded. He deals with failure when he deals with Peter. He deals with racism in John chapter 4. He deals with addiction. He deals with sickness. See, this is what makes Jesus amazing. Let me put it to you like this. Jesus is called the great physician. And let me tell you why. Because he knew what to prescribe to each individual. To the woman at the well, he didn't talk about new birth. And to Nicodemus, he didn't talk about living water. But he knew what each person needed. And it's so easy for us in our religious ways to get stuck that we're not listening or conversing with people. Man, I've done this. I've been in these situations. And sometimes God has let me fail so I can listen to what Jesus wants to say in a situation instead of just going through my, my religious background and just keep spouting off stuff. Sometimes God will just go, listen to what I want to say to a person. Ask them questions. Let them respond. And I'm telling you, every single time, it seems that God opens up the door. And God begins to, begins to let you know what to say. And sometimes, I, we, we, it's so easy for religious people to get stuck, starting with me. We just get stuck on our language. We get stuck on just saying certain things. God, and God showed me that from the very beginning of ministry. When we first went to Detroit, one of the things in Detroit for the 30 years that we've been there is, Man, just like New York, you're just dealing with, and, and we weren't, make, I wasn't making very much money. I was there at 19 years old, was there for 30 years, but I didn't make much money. And one of the things that was so hard is all the people that were begging on the streets. And so I didn't want to lie and say I didn't have money, but I just going like, how do I deal with all this? I don't even have much money. And now I'm, I'm, I got to give my money away. I, I didn't know what to do. So I remember driving home one night and it was coming through the projects of Detroit. We lived just right, two streets over from the projects in Detroit. And so I was going to pull up to this convenience store and get a soda. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And I saw a man waiting outside that store. I knew what he wanted. I had $2 left. And I was just going, I can't lie. I can't go. I don't have any money because that's a lie. And I got to preach tomorrow. And so I've got to think, what do I say 
to a person like this? What do I say to him? So I got out of the car and just said, God, just help me. You're the great physician. Give me a word. I walked up to the store and the man looked at me. He goes, I need $2. I'm thinking that's all I got. He goes, I need $2 for bus fare. And immediately the great physician gave me something. I said, I, I, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the $2. But if you're lying to me, I'm going to pray like Ananias and Sapphira that God kill you right here in front of this convenience store. I'm thinking, no, I think I'm going to die here. It's, I'm here in the projects, and I'm, it's 11 o'clock at night. This is it, and Pastor Carter will be doing my eulogy. And I'm just thinking, and the man's looking at me, and he goes, I'm lying. He goes, <laughs> he goes would you pray for me? And I'm going, this is awesome. I got the line around the country and around the world. I am going to teach ministries and people around the country about the Ananias and Sapphira line when you meet up with beggars. There'll be, I mean, there'll be a lot of, the, you'll, your pockets will be a lot bigger. And people will be dying. But here's what's amazing is that I'm going, this is the line. This is it. Ananias. Anybody now who asks me for money gets Ananias and Sapphira. Two days later, I walk up to the church and there's a man waiting there with a gas can. And I know that trick. I've seen that trick before. He goes, my car broke down or my car ran out of gas. I need $5 to get gas in the tank so I can get off the highway. I said, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you the five. And then all of a sudden I'm bold now because I got the line. So I just go, I'm going to give you the $5. But, and then I got a little bolder. I said, but if you're lying, and then just the smoke coming out. And I just go, if you're lying, I pray now like Ananias and Sapphira that you're going to go straight to hell and the gas can that you have is going to make the fire even hotter. This man, as I am expounding this, this man's looking at me and he's listening intently. And when I was done, he goes, I still need the $5. <laughs> and all I thought was, it didn't work. I don't even have a line anymore. And this is what we miss is that sometimes we get stuck and God sometimes lets us fail to know that these are people and they don't need some church line. They need to have an encounter with Jesus. And I want to take you to a one-on-one. -on -one. And in this one-on-one -on -one conversation, Jesus is about to deal with the past of somebody. Whenever I think of the past, I think of what the, the great 4th century church father Augustine said. He said this. He says, trust the past to God's mercy. Trust your present to God's love. And trust your future to God's providence. And so I think today when I started to see this woman in Luke chapter 7... Literally, she began to trust God's mercy, just like Augustine said. Let me read to you a one-on-one -on -one conversation that Jesus had with a woman with a really horrible past that would not leave her alone. It was part of her DNA, and maybe today some of us are going to walk out of here set free today. Let me read this to you. This is Luke chapter 7. I'm reading from verse 36 on. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city that, who was a sinner. Now, some versions, um, as they get updated, they, they will call her an immoral woman. And even as you go further on, they'll literally just call her a prostitute. This woman that you're reading about is a woman that was known in that city as a prostitute. And she is there while he's reclining at the table. 
The Bible then goes on to say, same verse, verse 37, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him, that'll be important in a second, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Listen to the rest of this and what happens in this story. So Jesus then at that point answers him and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Verse 41, a moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will he love more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you've answered this correctly. You've judged correctly. Verse 44, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, I love that part. What a great image. Jesus goes, she's my focus now. I'll talk to you, but I'm not interested in you. I'm interested in her right now. And says, Simon, he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but ever since I have come in here, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume, which these are just normal things that you do for a guest that would come into your home. Verse 47, a couple more verses. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but whoever is forgiven little, loves little. Now, let's pause there for a second. Let's just get something straight. Jesus says this. He says, those who have been forgiven of much will love much. Those who have been forgiven of little will love little. Can we just pause this is not a reality. This is a perspective that Jesus is talking about. There is nobody in this room, starting with me, that has not been forgiven of a bunch of stuff. How many know? Let me just ask you this. How many would say, I've been forgiven of much? How many would say that today? If you don't feel that way, by the end of the service, we'll fix that. So let's just keep going for a moment here. Then he said to her, verse 48, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Or I love what the Amplified, how it gives that final verse, verse 50. He says, but Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go enter into your peace. Go enter into freedom. I love this part. From all the distresses that you experienced as the result of sin. This is so powerful. That's why I really sign off on what C.S. Lewis said the Christianity is. He said Christianity, get this, is true fairy tale. Think about that. Because what he was saying was is this, you have impossible odds and then the unexpected happens. It's basically, it's Lewis was showing us, it's kind of like the, the, the little girl locked in the dungeon one day becomes a princess. It's the ugly frog by a kiss is going to be turned into a beautiful prince, which reminds all of us on these one-on-ones that we have to be in the frog kissing business because we never know who's in that individual that God is about to call out of that person. 
every one of us has been kissed by mercy. Not religion, not church, not a service, not by Times Square, but when your lips touch the resurrected Jesus, you never know what can happen to any one of us that's in this place. I love the way it's worth reading. It's take 90 seconds. I love the way Chuck Swindoll describes this moment. Let me read this to you. He says it like this. While families gather for dinner and close their door for the night, this woman's workday begins with saffron scarves and lavender veils, dangling earrings, and a dab of perfume. She dresses herself for show. She survives by her looks and looks she'll get. She'll get a leer, a scowl, a wink, and a sneer. She will get all sorts of looks except one, and that's a look of love. She is a prostitute. How many times her heart has ached and wanted for more than one night? To be valued instead of evaluated. To be prized instead of priced. Her scarlet letter will never be clean. This day, though, she will meet what she hardly dared to hope for. She will meet love. She will meet kindness. And this day, this woman will meet Jesus. That's who she's about to meet. This one-on-one is about to change her life. And can I tell you, those in our home fellowship groups, those at the Jersey campus, the summit, those who are watching this online, those that may be listening to a podcast during the week, and whether you're running to this in a park or on a treadmill, I want to tell you something. A one-on-one conversation, a one-on-one interaction with Jesus can literally be set you free. And with this woman who is a prostitute, I want to do something that... I want, I, want to, I want to take some margin here with this, with this verse. With not sounding crass or breaking boundaries here, while everybody else looked at this woman with one way and in different parts of her one way, I think Jesus saw her differently. I know Jesus saw her differently. He looked at her like no man has looked before. In fact, I want to just tell you what I think he saw, and I want you to write this down because I want to give you three things that I think Jesus saw. I think one... Jot this down. I think he saw her back. I think he saw her hair. And I think he saw her eyes. And I want to walk you through those for just a second. I think Jesus on that day looked like no other man looked and was about to see the the little girl in the dungeon about to be set free to be who she's supposed to be. And that will be the case for some of you sitting in this place today. He saw her back. He saw her hair. And he saw her eyes. Let's just take and unpack those for just a few moments here. Let's take her back for just a second. There are two ways that you can actually see yourself. It's either by photograph or by mirror. The two ways that you can see who you are. See, photos is is how we wish we would always look. Nobody takes a photo without fixing their hair and taking care of things. No one's taking a selfie looking ugly. They're always fixing everything and putting stuff on them. And then it's, you know, then they're doing the fish face. At that point, that's what you know, you're fixing everything. But the mirror shows you exactly what's there. When you woke up this morning, hopefully you went in front of a mirror, saw the damage that night did to you like no other thing can do, and you're going, how can this happen? And all of a sudden, you're looking at this, but that is the real us. This is not the real us. That's not real. 
but the mirror shows who we actually are. And let me say this to you. Until we see our real self, we, un- we begin then to never understand our need for God. When all we see ourselves is as the photograph and thinking, I'm good, I've got it together, we never know how much we really need God. And so that's why when this woman was at this place, she didn't see a photo. She knew who she was in a mirror. And this woman shows up and all of a sudden at this place is standing on the outskirts of this dinner that was about to change her life. Here's what's crazy about those times. When there was a guest of honor at the house, those, the best seats in the house obviously were reclining around the table. And there was only, that was an invited position. Those were box seats. Those were the, those were the high-priced suites that you're not going to at Yankee Stadium or at Madison Square Garden. These are the high price, high-ticket prices right there. But what's interesting is that there was a general admission mission section in these meetings, in these dinners, that the town to kind of fill up the house for, for the excitement that people can come as, part, as, in a sense, observers, but not participators. And what they can do is they can stand on the outer part of the wall, but you can't participate. You can listen, you can observe, but you can't take part of what was happening at that table. This woman somehow gets a position on the wall with her back on the wall. And I can imagine that day, men in that table going, what is she doing here? How did she get in? And maybe one of her clients were at that table. And there she is at the wall, could care less about anything else. All she knows is that man that's sitting at that table may have the answer that I've been looking for. And she's sitting there or standing there. Her back is against the wall as an observer, but she is now beginning to find herself in a conflict. How do I begin to leave the wall, take my back off the wall and get close enough to that one that's sitting there at that table? Why would she be standing there at that meeting? Because when you read a few verses back, I think when Jesus walks into that town, she heard what just took place. Let me read it to you a few verses back in Luke chapter 7 in verse 11. Listen to these words because it happened right down the street from the Pharisee's house. Here's what it says. Verse 11, Luke 7, soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. He came up and touched the coffin right in the middle of the funeral. And the bearers came to a halt and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up. I'm gone at that point right there. (laughs) He began to speak. I'm in the coffin at that point. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Do you see what just took place in the city that the dinner is going on? That Jesus stopped a funeral. Think about this for a second. If I could just paint the picture, think of this. Jesus is walking into the city 
And coming over the road is a funeral of a dead young man that died too soon. And all of a sudden, you are about to have a clash of death and life are about to intersect in name that day. I have this sense, if we can see the spirit world and what was going on in hell at that point that Jesus walked into town, they're thinking we took that boy out. Now they see Jesus coming. I could see hell going, oh shoot, here is Jesus. This is about to get messed up at this point. Now you have Jesus, resurrection and life, about to hit death, and there is about to be a clash of the titans at this point going on. And if you don't know what exactly is about to happen, resurrection and life always defeats death every single time. What makes this even crazier is there were three things you weren't allowed to touch. You couldn't touch a leper because they were afraid that, that, that the disease would get on you and then you're unclean. You couldn't touch an immoral woman because her impurity would get on you. And you couldn't touch a dead person because then you would be unclean. I don't know if you know a lot about Jesus here today, but Jesus touched every single one of those people. He touched the leper, he touched that woman, and he touched the dead. Because here's the issue. What they thought is that what was on them would get on Jesus. If I, Jesus touches a leper, leprosy gets on him. Immorality gets on him. Death gets on him. But you don't know this resurrected Jesus. Because when he touches you, you don't get on him. He starts to get on you. And that prostitute with her back against the wall thought, maybe, just maybe, if he did that to the dead man, maybe he'll rub off on me and I could be set free today. And that woman did what no one ever thought she would do. Her back comes off the wall. And all of a sudden she says, I'm not observing anymore. I'm about to participate. Because if that man raises the dead, I know he can erase my past. I know he can set me free. I know he can deliver me. But she had to make a decision. Do I stand here with everybody else or do I go forget y'all? That's I'm Southern now. Do you forget y'all? I'm about to go meet the man that raises the dead. That's her back. Let's talk about her hair for a second. Number two, I was a, uh, probably the hardest part of ministry in Detroit wasn't the danger of where we were, but it was just the difficulty, the hurdles was being a senior pastor for seven years, but being single, that was difficult. Being a single senior pastor in the, one of the hardest inner cities in the country. Because I'm thinking to myself, my parents wanted me to get married. How do you get married? I mean, how do you do it if you're like a pastor? I mean, like, I mean, when I was, when I was single, there was no 
match.com. There was no, there was no singles.com. It was Jesus.com. I mean, that was it. If Jesus, if Jesus doesn't show up, you don't have a shot. In fact, let me, can I just help you today? If you're single here, don't raise your hand because I know you're dying to raise your hand. Don't raise it. But I want to help you with something here for just a moment. Because some of you are going like, there is no, I mean, I, I hear it all the time. Gr girls are going, there is no good-looking, spirit-filled men in the entire state of New, probably the United States. They think that. And guys think it the same way. And literally, they begin to think to themselves, this will never happen. I mean, I, I've been, and then until God gave me hope, he says, let me tell you about the worst single adult situation in human history. Ready for this? Adam. There is nobody. Every time, every single time he goes on a Christian mingle, nobody responds. Here's why. There are no humans. There's no humans on the planet. Who's going to respond? You know, I like walks in the park. I like to read my Bible. I like, I like the message version of the Bible. There's, there's none of that. I like to take walks in the cool of the day with Jesus. None of that. How do you do, what do you do? I'm, I'm really good at naming things. There's nothing for Adam. Nobody's there. But here's what's amazing. When God said it's time, he said, I can make a human even when you didn't think that nobody was there. Don't tell me there's nobody out there. God can do whatever he wants to do. So I have to be careful as a single pastor. I'm, I'm a single senior pastor. You can't have people raise their hands and you're up there going, how you doing? You can't, you can't do that. That's just creepy. You, they, they go, you go to jail for things like that. But let me tell you what single people do in the church. Because they're scouting. Don't pretend. This is honest now. You know what it's like. You're going like, God, just give me somebody. I mean, it's going to be. And then you, you, you spot somebody. And you go, oh, they're worshiping. Ugh, but they're worshiping with their right hand. I don't need the right hand to go up. I need the left hand to go up. Because if there's nothing on that finger, Jehovah Jireh. Because some of you are going, some of you are how does he know that? I was single. And too many people worship with their right hand. I need to know. I need to know if God has provided. Because what we're looking for is what? A ring. Because that tells me you've been married. You're taken. You belong to somebody. Well, in that time, it wasn't the ring that determined if you were taken or not. No one looked on the left ring finger. But what they said was, if you wanted to know if a woman was taken or not, you wouldn't look at their finger. You would look at their hair. Because they said if her hair was up, she was available. And if her hair was down... She was taken. Some of you are fixing your hair right now. No, don't do that. It's 21st century. It's 21st century. It's 21st century. 
okay? Let's all just be careful here. We're in church. Which meant, if your hair is up, you're available. If your hair is down, it means, it means, watch this, I'm taken. So what happened was, when that woman went out at night, her hair was up. But all of a sudden, she realized this. That man raises the dead. That man can fix my past. That man may rub off on me. I'm not going to be an observer. I need to be a participant. And all of a sudden, she takes her back off the wall. But at that moment, before she gets to his feet, she takes her hair down. What she just said at that moment is, I'm unemployed. I'm not available to you, to you, to you, to you, to you. I've just been taken. That man right there, that's my new man. He's my only man. He's the one that can set me free and give to me that nobody else can give to me. So on that day, when her back came off the wall and her hair came down, she says, I'm unemployed, but I am smitten because that's the one that can set me free. Back off the wall, hair down, and let's close with this. I think he saw her eyes. Or more specifically, he saw her tears. I, I was thinking about this as I was reading this passage. Let me read to you verse 38 one more time. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them. I kept thinking to myself, how do you, can anybody actually cry that much to, to wash someone's, I mean, these are feet from the Jerusalem dirt roads. Nothing's paved. And, and the basins to wash feet, these are large water basins. I mean, like, how do you, how do you wash feet like we just, I mean, I've cried, I've, there's been moments that I've wept, but not that much. Not that much. And, and I'm talking about painful situations. You've cried, but not that much. They, science tells us, medical field tells us that the most you can cry is maybe one, two cc's in a bottle. That's it. That's not enough. That's enough just to kind of spread the dirt, but not enough to wash your feet. Okay. I picked up a book that they just reprinted. I bought it probably 20 years ago and went online and found out, oh man, they have it back in print on Kindle. Buck 99, probably one of the most, what, what, one of the most informative 100 page books I think I've read in a long time. And, it's, and I've read it many years ago and revisited it when I was looking at this chapter again. The name of the book is called Strange Scriptures That Perplex the Western Mind. It's written by a lady named Barbara Bowen. And Barbara Bowen, in Strange Scriptures that Perplex the Western Mind, talks about this verse. In fact, what she does is it literally takes probably about 50 different things from Old Testament to New Testament and say us in the West really don't understand what was going on in that culture and, and what was happening there, both first century and in that culture. And she points out something that not only that I read, but something that was confirmed some years ago when I was in Israel and Jordan with, 
with David Wilkerson. And it was basically this. She said, what this woman did was she didn't cry on his feet. She brought to his feet, and this is what Barbara Bowen said, and I saw them and bought one. They said, this is a tear bottle that she poured on his feet. In fact, Bowen says this. She said, at that time, whether you were a prince or a pauper, whether you were royalty or the town prostitute, everyone had a tear bottle. It was used in the, most, in, the, in the hardest paths, journeys, and seasons of your life that literally was just a little ceramic bottle that fanned off the top enough to rest upon your cheek that you could weep and then you'd catch the tears and bottle them. I saw them. I bought them. They, they excavated thousands of them. They don't even cost hardly anything. If you walk the streets of the Middle East and you're buying any artifact, it's nothing because every tomb, every, everything that they have excavated and found, they find thousands of them because when you were buried in your coffin, probably that boy that in, in Luke chapter 7 verse 11 probably had one with him because everybody was buried with their tear bottle which represented every situation that brought pain into your life. Think of that woman. Think of what was in that bottle. Every man that abused her. Every man that kicked her to the side. Every man that says, I love you, and then walked away. Every man that began to, to, to go ahead and maybe physically abuse her. Think of maybe that she went through a home life where her dad left her and she had no father that would even protect her. And every single night, this woman is crying herself to sleep and all of a sudden catches the tears, bottles it up. And when she is standing against that wall and deciding that man that's over there, she began to realize, I can sit here like everybody else be in some religious service and there's Jesus. She takes her back off the wall. If he rubs off on a dead man, maybe he can rub off on me. If I take my hair down, I'm unemployed. I'm no longer available. That's going to be my man. And now she has to make a decision with that tear bottle. Do I leave the meeting with my pain, my tears, with the abuse, with everything in my hand? And what am I going to do? Take it with me to my grave? Or is there another place that I can take my pain? Another place... That I can put these tears. Is there another person? See those tears were her past. Those tears were her painful stories. And I think this woman got to the point. That simply said. I don't want to hold on to this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I've got to find a place to put it. And at that moment. Hair down. Back off the wall. The bottle unplugged. She poured them at the only place. That those tears belong. At the very feet of Jesus she wasn't pouring out water to clean his feet think about this this wasn't water to clean his feet this is every painful story this is every time she cried and said the only person that can begin to take the pain I can't hold it anymore and all of a sudden I thought to myself why his feet why his feet why his feet Hebrews 2 8 says this you have put all things in subjection under your feet. Which means when something goes under his feet, it's under his authority. 
See, you sang it, but you didn't realize what you were singing. When Greg led us in that final song of shout hallelujah, the devil is what? Under my feet. What do you think those feet? Not only is the devil under his feet, the tears of every person that poured it on his feet said, I got the devil. I've got your painful stories. I've got everything underneath my feet. Because when it's under his feet, it's under his authority because it belongs to him. And sometimes all you have are tears. Let me just tell you something. Tears are prayers too. They travel to God even when you have no words to express yourself. God goes, I know that story. I know that abandonment. I know that you've been abused. I know that you've got scars upon you. I know that you're worried about money. You're worried about being a single mom. Goes, I see those tears. But if you keep walking out of this place and walk out of that home fellowship group or walk out of Summit or walk out of the Jersey campus trying to hold on to that bottle all by yourself, you don't have the capacity. You don't have the ability to take those back on the subway, take that back to your car, take it through the toll booth. You don't have the ability. But today you can go, it only belongs one place and that's at the feet of Jesus. Only at his feet. Understand how important this is. Warren Wearsby, the great Baptist preacher, said it like this. The past is a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you. And this past was dragging this woman. I just kept thinking to myself, how do you turn an anchor into a rudder? How do you begin to go, I'm not doing this anymore? And all of a sudden, that rudder pointed right to Jesus, and she went there. Here's all I thought about. You can, can, let me just close with this as Greg comes and the team. How do you turn an anchor into a rudder? How do you change that past? Let me just, I, I just jotted this down real fast. Number one, like this woman, if you and Jesus are in the same place, great things can happen. And here's the great thing about this. Jesus doesn't live in churches. He's everywhere. That means... He can meet you on an F train. He can meet you on the Jersey Turnpike. He can meet you in your apartment. You don't have to be in this building to meet Jesus. He can meet, and if you meet Jesus, great things can happen there. But let me tell you the second thing I learned from this woman. This is the part, one of the parts I love the most. Is this, only Jesus can close the chapter on a tough past. Get this, with immediate forgiveness. He looked at that woman and he simply said, he didn't say you're on probation. He didn't say, I want to see if you're going to do better. He looked at her and said, your sins are forgiven. Listen to me close. When God forgives you, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to decide, was it true? Was it? It's not you that begins to make God love you. God loves you in the condition that you're in already. You don't have to sit and go, well, I have to cry more. I have to do this more. I have to show up at church more. I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop doing this. Let me just tell you something. If you've got to stop something to get to Jesus, listen to me close, then you'll be trying to get to him for the rest of your life. And all of a sudden, here are the religious people. Oh. All the recon. So that means you're saying you can sit at that table. You can come with all of your sin. and Come on. That's why no one likes you. Stop with the religious stuff. What? You're telling me 
that I've got I've to clean my life to get to Jesus? I don't have the capacity. That's why I need him. Holy mackerel. So stop it already. I'm telling you, you're on drugs, you smoke cigarettes, you're sleeping with your boy. Come to Jesus today. Are they still in the apartment? Yes, they are. But I'm telling you, when you come to Jesus, he'll start dealing with stuff. I'm not worried. I'm not the one to go all religion. Let me just tell you something. That's why when you come to him and say, you're in charge of my life, it's amazing. He loves you just the way you are. Listen to me. But loves you so much, he won't keep you the way you are. 'Tweet that, religious people. And finally, I'm not able to handle a tear bottle. I have to empty it at the feet of Jesus. I can't, I can't, I can't hold on to it. When, when, when I hold on to it, when I hold on to a tear bottle, when I try to manage my own pain, let me tell you what happens. I become cynical, I become bitter, and I become resentful. I don't trust people. I don't trust churches. I don't trust religion. I don't trust pastors. I don't trust. And I'm telling you, when you go to bed every single night, and I'm saying to you today, there is a place for your pain. There is a place that you can uncork a bottle and pour it at his feet today. There's a person. I watched it. I, I, for 30 years on the streets of Detroit, because we were meeting in a theater not a Broadway theater, but it was a theater that was a 900-seat pornographic theater. And we turned it into a church. It was, it was, we, we, when we renovated it, we didn't tell anybody a church is coming here. We just started renovating. Men used to come, thought we were renovating it to show the movies. And they'd go, when did the movies start? We said, Sundays, 10 and 6. And they would show up thinking they're going to get a screen and men that used to sit in that seat in bondage came to a church and now the very screen that they used to watch porn on now they're reading hymns and they're seeing scriptures on that and being set free the woman that one day I'll see again was our first convert that we ever saw at that theater because on one side of us was a prostitution hotel that posted hourly rates. On the next, next, next to our church in Detroit, there was the, the Deja Vu Strip Club. And across the street was worldwide pornographic videos. And we, brought, we bought the flagship pornographic theater. So there were prostitutes all around us. But the girl that is most memorable to me was the girl that worked our theater for $10 to $15 a trick. She weighed less than 90 pounds, and her name was Kamuchi. That was her prostitute name, Kamuchi. Her real name was Diane. And I'll never forget the day that we walked into this place and said, we're buying it and turning into a church. She used to call me Father Tim. So she, I'll never forget the day she walked in and said to me, she goes, uh, Father Tim, and wasn't a Christian. She goes, Father Tim, I need you to pray for me. And so I was just about to put a hand on her shoulder just so she could feel a, a male touch with knowing that it's just, I love her, and that I just want the best for her. And just when I'm about to put a hand on her shoulder, she goes, don't touch me. I said, and, and she said, I said what, what is it? She says, all the other pastors that pray for me charge me $25. And what they do is they charge me $25, they pray, and then they give me a scripture. And those numbers in the scripture 
are the numbers I'm supposed to play for the lottery, for the three-digit lottery. That's what was happening in religion. So they'd pray a prayer, John 3.16, and then she'd go that night because she got a religious leader and she'd play 316 for the lottery. That's what she told me. I looked at, I looked at Kamuchi and I just said, I want to show you something. And I took her in the Bible and I said, look at this. Matthew 7.20 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. She looked at that verse and she goes, oh, that's how you do it. So what are you talking about? She goes, the numbers. Folks, this is the 21st century. She goes, I never knew what the numbers meant on top of the page. So you're saying seven is chapter and 20 is verse. I said, yeah. She, she's looking at me and she goes, give me another one. So, so I go, okay, uh, Romans 3.23. So she looks and she turns, 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is amazing. I got it now. Give me another one. I go, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. She goes, this is incredible. I, I'm on a roll. Give me one more. I said, Romans 10. She had no idea. I was walking her through the Romans road is what I was doing. <laughs> Romans 10, 9 and 10. And all of a sudden, she goes, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And she's looking at this. So she goes, okay, Father Tim, let me ask you a question here. Is what you're telling me is this, that if Jesus comes into my heart and changes me. She's saying, I'll never have to cry again. She says, you're telling me I don't have to stand on the streets anymore? She goes, are you saying to me that when I die and go to heaven, I won't have to think of my past anymore? And I said, Kamuchi, it's my turn. And I brought her Revelation chapter 21. It says, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. And I watched that young lady... I prayed with her. I didn't know what was happening until that Sunday. As I'm preaching, I watch Kamuchi in the middle of preaching walk down. And we've got security like you guys. I mean, if you start coming out, we're going to tackle you, take you out. We're going to do, you're not going to get up here. Pastor Carter's going to be saved. Pastor David's going to be saved. Pastor Patrick. Nick, I don't, I just don't know. <laughs> They go, it's the one o'clock. Let him go. <laughs> um, and she's coming down. And all the security is about to get him. They go, no, no. I go, this, let, her, let her go. Let her go. And she's twirling down the aisle. She gets on stage and she goes, look. This is what she said. Look how long my dress is. Look how long my dress is. She goes, I'm saved. I'm saved. Look how long my dress. The only way. Listen to me now, religious people. The only way she could define salvation is she said, I used to wear dresses this short, but when Jesus came into my heart, I get to wear long dresses now. And she literally just began to twirl. Can I just tell you something? Kamut, she didn't need an encounter with the religion. She needed an encounter. She didn't need an encounter with a church. She didn't need an encounter with Times Square Church, David Wilkerson, Carter Conlon, or Tim Delina, or Nikki Cruz. She needed an encounter with Jesus that says, when you take your back off the wall, when you take your hair down and saying, that's my man, then you can uncork that bottle, put it at his feet. And I'm telling you, from that point on, your life has changed. I'm telling you, one of the first people. And that day, let me just tell you something. Kamuchi didn't know that her body was full of AIDS from working the streets. It wasn't just two years later she died 
I was already in New York at that time. But I'll never forget that woman not only got saved, long dresses, she married some deacon from a church and she sold lawnmowers the rest of her life. Lawnmowers, I don't even know. All I know is this, and would tell her story to those ladies on the street. And the part that I can't wait for, I know I'm going to see my dad in heaven. I'll see David Wilkerson, but I'm looking for a little 90 pound prostitute in heaven with a long dress at the gates going, I made it, I made it. Look how long my dress is. Because on that day, on that day, she knew I can uncork the bottle, pour it at his feet, because I can't leave this place knowing that I'm going to do this all by myself. Would you bow your head with me, please? As we close in the next few moments here, just as that woman needed to use her back to get off a wall, just as she needed to make a commitment and pull hair down and say, I'm not going out back the way I came in. I'm taken now. And just as she said about her eyes that they would never shed a tear alone anymore. It doesn't mean when you come to Christ you won't shed tears. It means you won't shed tears alone. He is there. And tonight, this, this afternoon... I want to challenge you to do what that woman did. Because you may be sitting here watching in our annex, maybe even watching online or on a phone or on a computer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to just challenge you today. Listen, we're all Christians. We all have pain in our lives. I get that part. And every night, my encouragement to you is pour them at the feet of Jesus. But I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not the, you're not the ones I'm interested in right now. I'm interested in the people that maybe didn't understand that this Jesus can rub off on you. The most important question we can ask you before you leave this place today is, is really the question that was posed to Jesus. Is another one-on-one -on -one conversation in John chapter 3. And when Jesus responds to a religious person and just simply says, Today, today, you could be born again. You could know today that by just coming to church, you could still leave here with all your tears. You could still leave here with all your past. But I'm here to tell you today to have an encounter with Jesus, not this church, not a denomination, not a religion. I'm not talking about Protestantism, Catholicism, or Judaism. I'm not talking about Islam. I'm talking about the resurrected Jesus today. That today, your life can be changed. Your past forgiven, listen to me, and your future secure. You can know today, my past is forgiven, and I'm going to heaven. That when my life is over. Some of you don't have that assurance today. And Jesus said it like this. These are Jesus' words. Jesus, who cannot lie. Unless a man is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. Those aren't my words. That's not TSC. That's Jesus' words. And then says in John 3, 5, you must all be born again. That's Jesus. And so what you have to answer today is, am I part of the all? Am, am, I, I know you're in church. I, I know you may be a good person. I know that you, 
you may watch this, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, have you been born again? Because those, that is the criteria that Jesus says, that's how you're forgiven of your past, and that's how you secure your future for heaven. It's not a matter of saying I went to church. It's not a matter of saying I'm a good person. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It's as simple as ABC. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? It, it, when we use those words, those letters, ABC, we're saying it's simple. It's simple. And we try to make it simple for you. It just goes like this. A, the word that's associated with this, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that I have to be forgiven of much. Remember, we talked about that. Jesus said there's some people who think they've only been forgiven of a little, so they love little. But Jesus says we've all, we have all sinned. John 3, 23, we've all sinned. That means every one of us has a condition that cannot be fixed with a priest, a pastor, a program, or a promise. Only God can fix it, and he fixes it from the inside out. It is called forgiveness. How does that happen? It's the B part. Believe that God loved you so much to send his son and said that there had to be a cause for sin, but you're not going to pay for it because God loves you. He wants to pay in your place, but, but he's asking you to realize that it's you not trying to get better for God to love you. He loves you and died for you. It's you believing that Jesus was your sin bearer on the cross. If you could fix yourself, then why would God have to send your son? If you just getting better, then that would be the worst case of child abuse in human history. God allowing his own son to go through that abuse and you can, you can make it to heaven on your own by carrying a briefcase or going, going overseas on a bicycle or, or, or becoming a martyr. I'm just telling you, there's no other, there's no other thing in the world like Jesus in Christianity. Everyone else trying to get you to get good. Jesus says, I'm good and I'm going to begin to die in your place. And he's going to rub off on you, believing that Jesus died for you and see confessing him as Lord, which means come with all your hurts, your hangups and habits, and he'll fix it. He'll go through it, but just pour those tears at his feet. If you're here today in the annex on this bottom floor and just say, pastor Tim, Man, I want to start that journey with God. I don't have it all together. Man, I've been walking out of here with a tear bottle, but today, man, I want to start a journey with God. I'm not inviting you to join a church. I'm not inviting you to a religion. I'm inviting you to a relationship that will change your life. Your past gets forgiven and your future gets secured. Forgiven sins, heaven becomes your home. And my goodness, your present gets really exciting. And if you're here today, and go, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born-again prayer, when you pray that, man, I want to be part of that. Today, I want to start a journey. I want to start that journey with God. Man, I want to be part. I want to begin. That's I don't have it together. Got some things messed up. Doesn't matter. Or you can have it all together and go, there's still an emptiness inside, but I realize I need God in my life. If that's you today, Annex, Home Fellowship Groups, Summit, Jersey Campus, or right here in the sanctuary and say, Pastor Tim, I want to start that journey today. I want to be born again. Not a TSC or not a Protestant, a Catholic or a Jew. I want to be born again. Those are Jesus' words and that's what I want to do. When you pray that prayer, I want to start that journey today with God. If that's you, every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Say, so put me in that prayer. I want to be part of it. Hold it up high. I want to make sure I see every hand. Balcony, keep them up. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see every hand that's there. Okay, that's fair. Keep them up. I want to give you another chance. Got you over there. Look at a whole group over there. That's fantastic. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. You can put your hands down. I'm going to ask you to do what this woman did for a second. I'm telling you, you're going to have a place that is going to cheer for you because they're excited because they've done it themselves. If you raise your hand and say, hey, Pastor Tim, 
I'm all in. Backs off the seat, hair down. He's my man now. Breaking that tear bottle. I want this to be that table where Jesus is. If that, you raised your hand, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Quickly, just stand to your feet. When you had a bunch of people that are about to clap for you. Quickly. I want you to come on down. Come on. Come on down. I want you to come on down. Wherever you're at, make your way down here. Balcony, annex. I want you to meet me down here. Would you all stand while they come down? Come on. Come on. I want to pray with you, and we're all going to pray together. Come on, balcony, if you raised your hand, I want you to come down, because this is going to be a day. Those tear bottles, this is the day that forgiveness comes. This is the day that God changes everything. We're going to pray this together. Let me just tell you this. This is you just praying. This is, this is not a magic prayer. This is just heart calling to heart. It's just you going, Jesus, I put my tears at your feet change me from the inside out. And you're not going to pray this alone. You've got 2,000 people that are about to pray this with you today. That, and we're going to celebrate together. I want to make sure everybody's coming down. This is Can I just tell you something? What excites me is this today. That's what gets me excited today. Hey, can we all pray this? Come on. Close your eyes. Pray this out loud with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you died for my sin, my shame, and my guilt. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> a purpose on earth and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, I say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.